Spring break, bitches! What is up? It is the Regulators Podcast. I am your host, Waldo Waldy. Happy to have you guys here, as always. And uh, obviously, spring break is going on. Free agency is going on. A lot of things. But while we're on the topic of spring break, I think I need to put out a small PSA uh, just to represent for my 305s um, a lot of people down in South Florida who... We get all these messages, all these texts, and all these DMs from people who live outside of Florida, and they see the nonsense that's going on down in South Beach, and, you know, curfew's been put in place, and all kinds of crazy stuff, and listen, that ain't us. That is not us. I assure you, nobody who's from Miami is hanging out in South Beach right now. There are a couple of times a year where most of us actually try to get away from the city and one of those times is spring break and all that stuff that's going on on the other side of the bridge we ain't got nothing to do with that so while you're sitting there judging and talking about the you know ratchet crap that's going on in south beach guess what boo boo these people taking a spirit flight home on tuesday so they're going to be your problem again because i assure you that ain't us but just wanted to get that off my chest so If you've listened to the podcast before, if you follow us on Twitter, you know that we do a lot of giveaways. Uh, We've given away some cash. We've given away uh, different merchandise. We've given away jerseys, including signed jerseys, which brings me to our first order of business today. And we have the opportunity to give away a signed Xavier Howard jersey. And that's what we're going to do. So we asked all of our listeners, all the people who follow us on Twitter to retweet the post and follow us. And we were going to get you in the the running. And listen, I got to find out a better way to do this. If anyone knows, please reach out to me at the show because manually typing in like 300 people's Twitter handles into a random name generator or or wheel spin thingy here is, is very time consuming. But nevertheless, I have all the names in. I have the wheel. We're ready to go, and and we're going to do this. So good luck to everybody who entered the contest, and we're going to go ahead and uh, give away a damn jersey right now. So let's see what we got. It's time to play Bamboozled. Just kidding. No Wicked Wango cards here. All right, here we go. Spin the wheel. And we have a winner. It is at the AM Sports Talk. Congratulations, at the AM Sports Talk. You have just won yourself a signed Xavier Howard jersey. We will get that out to you. So congratulations to everybody who didn't win. Please don't stop listening to the show. We put a lot of effort into this, and we're going to do tons more giveaways. We have some great shit coming for you. We could have waited to the end of the show, but we did it. You know, just just to get it out there and get it done. But please stay, hang out with us. We're going to have a good show. So, speaking of some great things that we have going on, if you missed our Twitter spaces that we did the other night, 
Twitter Spaces is amazing, and I think that this is going to be really, really huge uh, for a lot of people and a lot of brands, and especially for Twitter itself. If you're not familiar with what Twitter Spaces is, it's basically like an audio-only chat room. Um, and you have a host, you have a couple of different speakers, and then people can ask to speak and join in on the conversation, and it's really great. And shout out to Antoine Staley for hosting one. Uh, I think it was last Friday night. Uh, he hosted one and invited myself, Josh Houts, Jason Sarney to join in on the free agency talk, and we had a blast. It was, it was amazing. And we are not only going to do some of our own, but we are going to do an amazing one for the draft, and we have some... Crazy stuff coming up, so I'll talk to you about that later in the show. But let's get into the NFL news. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the NFL is funny, right? The world in general is kind of funny. But one of the things that I found just hilarious in this past week was Michael Brockers is a defensive lineman who was on the L.A. Rams. Now, when the Rams made the trade to send Jared Goff to Detroit and to bring in Matt Stafford, he was excited. And he said that, you know, Stafford was a level up on Jared Goff. And, and he was obviously, for, for good reasons, you know, excited to now have an upgrade. Um, but after he made these statements that Stafford was a level up, he has since been traded to the Detroit Lions and now has had to go back, you know, into the same locker room with Jared Goff. And imagine the, the roller coaster of emotions. So you find out you're getting a huge upgrade at quarterback, and you're like, oh, man, this is great. Now maybe we can, like, get over that hump. You know, the Rams were in the Super Bowl not that long ago, and with Matt Stafford, you know, maybe this is, this is it. We got a great defense. You know, let's go. And then you go from that high to... Listen, uh, we've decided to trade you. Okay, that really sucks. And where am I being traded to? Detroit. Oh, okay. Well, oh, who's the quarterback there? Jared Goff. Damn it, man! Like that's just—I found that hilarious. So, if you if you didn't catch that, I just wanted to share that nugget. But before we get into uh, all the NFL news and all the transactions and things going on, I've got a lot of requests. A lot of people have asked me. You know, to talk about the whole Deshaun Watson situation. Listen, and let me take a drink for this because it's been a long day and I'm only about four or five captains in, so not nearly enough. Um, I am not going to speak on the Deshaun Watson situation until there is something to speak on. Anybody who's looking for the TMZ gossipy version of the NFL world, this is not the fucking show for you. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, the allegations are obviously very serious, but nobody has been tried in a court of law. Nobody has been found innocent, guilty, anything. Um, what this show is here to do is cover, obviously, the football implications of anything that happens outside of football. But to date, nothing has happened yet, and I'm not going to get into you know, how that affects him moving to other teams until he's not a Texan or until a court case is played out, that's that's not going to happen on our show. So I see your questions, and I, I try to be polite and everything, but just know that I, I'm not going near that with a 20-foot pole until that's said and done or, or there's movement there. Um, but moving on, the restructures are in full effect in the NFL, and I think that it's so funny because if you pay attention, 
if you really pay attention, you can tell who is playing chess and who is playing checkers. We talked about the Kansas City Chiefs way back when they made that half a billion dollar deal with Patrick Mahomes. And we said, listen, this is a team-friendly deal. It may look on the surface like it's this gaudy, ridiculous contract, but when you get into the minutiae of it, it is a great contract. And it allows for so many options for the Kansas City Chiefs, including one that they already took advantage of. So the Kansas City Chiefs have uh, done a restructure of sorts that has created some cap room for them. Patrick Mahomes' cap hit for 2021 is $7.4 million. Um, I'm laughing because that's a joke. You have Patrick Mahomes at a cap hit of $7.4 million. And there will continue to be salaries converted into bonuses and all kinds of other things. And the big TV money is coming, which we'll get into. But you then look at these other teams that have cap hits of 30 plus million dollars for their quarterback. And then you have teams that are having huge cap hits for players that aren't even on their team anymore. Uh, Jared Goff being one of those. Um, there is such a level of, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say ignorance because that's not fair. Um, but there's a, there's a lack of understanding amongst NFL fans in general um, through no fault of their own that just there's so much more that goes into a team just than the draft picks and the free agency signing. Sure, that's sexy, right? We all get excited when a splash free agent signing goes down, when a big trade happens and everything. But what happens, they always say the devil is in the details. The devil is in all of those details over years and years and years of managing cap, of understanding how to write contracts, how to properly do things. I mean, you can give any player any amount of money they want if they ask for it in the right way or if you tell them, you know, listen, what's more important to you? Do you want a seven, eight, ten-year contract or would you rather make the max this year? Would you rather get, you know, a huge signing bonus or are you, con like, what are you concerned with? And then we can write it in a way that benefits both of us. And you look at the teams that have done that and the teams that have not done that, uh, one example is, you know, the New Orleans Saints. Yes, everybody says that, well, the Saints always end up under the cap. Yeah, every team does because you have to. You literally have to be under the cap. You you can't be over the cap. So every team will find a way to do it, even if they have to cut their whole damn roster. Um, but what happens is you continue to kick that can down the road significantly until it builds up and it builds up to where like it did this year where the saints were projected to be a hundred million dollars over the cap and then they had to really get skinny and they had to start restructuring a lot of people now fortunately the good news is in the nfl that you can take the money that's due to a player let's say they're owed 10 million dollars uh this year and they have five years left on their contract you know you can break that down, convert it into a bonus, and then spread it out as a $2 million cap hit over the next five years. And that's fine until you end up trading or getting rid of those players early um, or something happens to them where they're not worth that money and you're still on the hook for either the money and or the dead cap hit. So 
continuing to kick that can down the road, even if you get under the cap, you know, the goal is not to roll into 2021 or to roll into any year and say, oh, we made it under the cap by, you know, half a million dollars. You know, we just, we, we made it. That's not the goal. The goal is to put together championship caliber football teams that can compete. And what you're doing is you're hamstringing your team because, yeah, you're able to convert the guys that are currently there, but it makes it harder to sign free agents. It makes it harder to sign long-term extensions for the guys that you would like to extend because they know that you don't have the cash to really give them whatever it is in particular they want, and every player is different, and every player wants different things. So it makes your job that much harder. So I, I think that people misunderstand when I say things like Team X is in cap trouble. Um, you know, they're going to have to do some workarounds. It's not to say, oh, they're not going to field a team next year. Like, no one believed that the Saints weren't going to show up in 2021 with a football team of professionals. But again, it's the decisions you have to make. So, I mean, so far, we said, like, Breeze has to retire because that's that's one of the biggest chips on that uh, plate that they have. There was like $25 million there. He obviously converted that money um, to save the Saints some cap space, but then ended up retiring anyway. So Breeze retired. Emmanuel Sanders is gone. Quan Alexander is gone. Janoris Jenkins is gone. Morstead's gone. Jared Cook's gone. Uh, Josh Hill, Malcolm Brown, Nick Eason. Uh, Wick is gone. Let's see. Vander... I think is gone as well. Um, oh yeah, and the Saints got fined seven hundred thousand dollars and a sixth round pick for uh, their COVID violations. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a Saints fan or even a lot of these other teams that made it under the cap, they're just getting started. By the beginning of league year, they had to get under the cap, right? But you're still going to sign more free agents, and you still have to have money to sign your draft class which depending on how many picks you have, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that's going to be in the millions of dollars as well. So they're not done. And there's still going to be those guys who don't make it out of camp. And I'm not talking about the rookie bus. I'm not talking about the undrafted free agents or the guys who are just, you know, there, there will be cap casualties and there will be surprise cuts because they need to bring someone in at another position and they have to eliminate somebody. So it just, it's that person's time on the chopping block. So I assure you, these teams are just getting started. So don't breathe a sigh of relief just yet if uh, your favorite player has not been cut and you, you thought that he was possibly being cut. It's a long time between now and the beginning of September and that first week one. So I wouldn't be buying any player jerseys just yet. Always go with the custom. Custom's the way to go anyway. You, you want to go with the customs. Too many... Too many past jerseys of players that the second you buy them, um, you know, there's nothing you can do. Now, I do know that, uh, and this is not a sponsorship in any way, shape, or form, but I do know that at FanDuel, they do have like a jersey protection thing, but I think you only have like 60 days or something. I, I, I forget what the time limit is, but if the player gets traded within a certain amount of time you get like a, a credit or something or they'll refund you or get you another jersey but i digress enough about that um you know one of the other reasons that a lot of these players 
have not been cut yet is you have to understand that a lot of this goes into draft strategy. You have the draft coming up and let's say for example one of your players that you're going to cut is a veteran safety that you know maybe obviously not a top five player but obviously a solid piece in your defense. If you cut that player before the draft and you haven't signed any free agents because most of the splash ones have been franchise tagged or have already signed elsewhere, then teams now know that there's a good likelihood that you're looking for one in the draft. So then they narrow it down by how big that need is, what other options are available to you, and everybody starts playing chess. So you need to hold those cards as close to your vest as possible. That means that some of the biggest cuts that you're going to make that will create glaring holes at a certain position, you're not going to do until after the draft. So something to keep in mind as, as the draft approaches is that there, there's a lot of players that, God help them, they have no idea that they're about to be out of a job because the teams wisely don't want to make it that obvious that they're going to replace those players. And some of those players could be quarterbacks. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, the only thing you really need to know is that New England is not taking Kyle Pitts. So everybody you know who's high on Pitts for all the right, right reasons, um, you know he obviously won't be going to New England because they got Janu Smith and Hunter Henry, which were amazing pickups for them. I mean, they got the two best tight ends in free agency. They both went to the New England. I can't speak tonight. I mean, I've had a little bit to drink, but not like that. I don't know. I'm just having some issues. Um, but they both went to the New England Patriots. And uh, shout out to Special K. I'm, I'm sure she's really happy about that. Um, New England is uh, putting the band back together, so to speak. They're getting a lot of players back off of that uh, COVID opt-out list. Remember, they had the most players opt-out of any team. And the only one that's kind of unfortunate is uh, Patrick Chung. Uh, Patrick Chung retired. He announced his retirement. And uh, I think I'm just trying to talk too fast. I've been so excited for this episode all day that I'm trying to say three different things at once. But anyways, uh, the loss of Patrick Chung will obviously affect the Patriots moving forward. He was definitely a central cog in that machine. Um, but other than that, the Patriots, you know, went out and, and were spending some money in free agency. And I think nailing those two tight ends is is huge for them. Um, but obviously, they will not be getting Kyle Pitts, which speaking of Kyle Pitts, he ran a 4 4 6 40 uh, at his pro day. And uh, man, that boy was booking it. And remember, Kyle Pitts is a tight end. You know, I, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, Calvin Johnson in like a 4-3 and, you know, like he's a tight end and he's running a 4-4. Like that's really, really impressive. And if you haven't checked out our entire tight end write-up for the other tight ends not named Kyle Pitts, uh, please go to regulatorspod.com and, and check it out. J-Man's done a lot of work on those articles. He's got the quarterback breakdowns. He's got the running back, fullback breakdowns and the tight ends. And he's got other positions coming as well as we get closer to the draft. Um, 
And by the way, uh, Pro Football Focus, you know, I have a, a love-hate relationship with them. Uh, but their grades on offensive skill players this past season, the only two players that had a 90-plus grade in the red zone were Kyle Pitts and Devonta Smith. So Smitty and Pitts were the only two that had 90-plus uh, in the red zone. Um, and obviously both of those guys are going to go very, very high in the draft coming up this April. So talking about pro days, man, I am growing a bro crush on Rondale Moore. Um, if you guys don't know who he is, he is a wide receiver out of Purdue who is all of like 5'7", I believe. And uh, he had a 42 and a half inch vertical at his pro day. And I mean, that's just stupid. Like, he jumped himself in his pro day. And when you watch the video, you can pause it before he jumps, see how tall he is, and then pause it midair and see how high he gets. And it's just like, damn, that boy can get up. And also, did I mention that he ran a 42940? Um, he's fast, he can jump. You know, obviously he's a little bit undersized, but he is athletic. And then you watch his interviews and you watch his route running and you watch all these things and you're like, damn, somebody on day two is is going to get a, a very athletic, very intelligent young man um, who I think is committed to football. We have a lot of those players, like one we'll talk about in a little bit, where you can question, are they committed to football? Do they care enough? Do they want it enough? I think that uh, this guy is going to be a very interesting player uh, for a team. And they asked him, you know, where he saw himself returning kicks, you know, running routes, whatever. And he says he'll do it all. He'll paint the fence, walk the dog, whatever you need, he's there. So, and I, I believe him. Um, I think he, he's going to be a really good pickup. Um, some other NFL news that's happened. Uh, Curtis Samuel to the Washington football teams. Pause for a drink. And I'm not editing that out of the show. You know, I got to take a drink. I got to take a drink, but it's real life here. So cheers to you if you're drinking. If you're listening first thing Wednesday morning, like most of our early hardcore grinding uh, podcasters, you're probably not drinking, but I'll drink another one for you. But if you can sneak one in while the boss isn't looking, or if you are the boss, Mazel tov. So I think Curtis Samuel to Washington is huge. Obviously, you've got Fitzmagic there now, and I think those two can be a lethal combination. Curtis Samuel was my personal number one free agent wide receiver. I wanted him more than anybody else. If I was a team that was wide receiver needy, I would have definitely pegged Curtis Samuel. Um, but I think he's going to do great with a quarterback who is not afraid to chuck it up in Ryan Fitzpatrick and that could be very very good uh, fantasy wise for you so Curtis Samuel is something someone who definitely jumps up the list in fantasy which we'll talk about later in the show as well now another one is Philip Lindsay to Houston now I know that I am not someone who has been kind of late to the front office in Houston for appropriate reasons. I mean, they give away uh, DeAndre Hopkins for a chicken salad sandwich and um, 
some of the moves they've made over the past few years have been just atrocious. But there's new sheriff in town. They got, you know, at least a new GM, new coach, new new situation going on over there, and they're trying to right the ship. And I believe that they stole Philip Lindsay. They got Philip Lindsay for three point two five million, but only one million of it guaranteed. You just got a one K back who is got a permanent chip on his shoulder from being an undrafted free agent who I think is a stud and you got him for a million guaranteed. In this economy, God bless you. God bless you, Houston Texans. Good move. Good fucking move. Another good fucking move is the Minnesota Vikings got Patrick Peterson. Now, two years ago, the Minnesota Vikings, many people outside Minnesota may not know this, but they had one of the best secondaries in the NFL. Some could argue the best secondary. And then what happened was they lost a bunch of players going into last offseason. They thought about replacing them, and they said, nah, fuck it, let's just see what happens. And what happens was the defense was abysmal. They had one of the most efficient offenses in football that they have seen in years, which it just if if I went through all of the offensive stats and records and things with Minnesota, it would just blow your mind. And we've done it in past shows, and as, as we get closer to the season, we'll go back over it again. But the defense, the defense was killing them last year. And so they go out and they get Patrick Peterson. That's a start. It's a start. It's not the end. But that's a big that's a big move for them. So good good move uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. So happy if you're a Vikings fan. Now, right before we went on the air, or recorded to go on the air, however you want to say it, um, I saw that Super Bowl champion Joe Flacco has signed with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think this is a good move. I think this is a great move by Philly because, number one, he's not coming in for a starting job. He's coming in to be a backup. He knows he's going to be a backup. But he's got a world of experience. And regardless of what you think of his arm talent, regardless of what you think of his ability to step in and and play meaningful football, the guy won a Super Bowl, and he's been in the league for a very, very long time. And that type of wisdom and that type of understanding, you don't hang around for that long if you don't have something to offer. You know, everybody shits on Tony Romo when he was the quarterback of the Cowboys, mostly because people just like to dump on the Cowboys, but also, too, because he couldn't really get it there. He couldn't really get the job done. But yet, now everybody loves him in the booth while he's calling out plays and he's breaking down what this guy's going to try to do against this coverage and what the quarterback's looking for and stuff. Tony Romo always had the mind. Like, he may have not been able to get the ball where he wanted it to. Maybe his, you know, his accuracy or his his other traits didn't really lend itself to him just being, you know, completely superhuman and, and having Patrick Mahomes-type success. But he knew what the defense was. He could read the defense. He could read the He understood it fundamentally. And those are the type of things that you're hoping a Joe Flacco can bring 
to Philadelphia with your young rookie sitting there trying to uh, become an NFL professional and trying to um, establish himself as a starter in the NFL. So I think this is a great move by Philly to bring in Joe Flacco, and I think uh, he should be able to help uh, Jalen Hurts out a lot there in Philly. Now here's a move that was puzzling to me. Kenyon Drake signed with the Raiders, and I love me some Kenyon Drake. Miami Miracle did well in Arizona. I think that he was he was used poorly for years uh, by Adam Gase and and just bad situations. But I love me some Kenyon Drake. He signed with the Raiders, who also re-signed Theo Riddick. So now I'm looking at that backfield. And my first question is, does John Gruden just want to do everything in his power to take away carries from Josh Gordon? Is that his total MO? Or, my next question is, is he on the trading block? Is there a Did I say Gore? I, I don't know what I said. Josh Jacobs. If I didn't say Josh Jacobs, I'm not going back to listen to it. Josh Jacobs... Is he on the trading block? Why would you have Kenyon Drake, who can be a great part of your offense, Theo Riddick, who's no slouch in the bedroom himself, and Josh Jacobs, who can be a fucking bell cow, and I would let him touch the ball every other snap, if not every snap, why do you have them all in the same backfield? Unless, again, you're trying to make Khalil Mack money moves. Like, I, I don't know if you've been listening to uh, Bodak Yellow too much, John Gruden, but I don't think that moving Josh Jacobs would be a wise career decision. Although, who knows? You seem to have immunity. You and Mayock are doing your thing out there. I don't know. But it just... I look at the move and I look at the team and I look at it and even J-Man, you know, I, I really wish, you know, poor J-Man, he's working like 90, 100 hours a week right now. It's very busy for him and we will have him for the draft. If I have to kidnap him, fucking tie him up and throw him in a van and get him to the draft, we will have him live for all of our draft coverage, I promise you. Um, but in the meantime... Even he had remarked to me he didn't understand what the Raiders were doing with that move because you basically cut, traded, got rid of your entire offensive line within days, and then you bring in Kenyon Drake, and he talked about them trying to establish some sort of power run game that obviously doesn't suit Kenyon Drake's uh, use as well, and... I don't know, man. It just feels like Josh Jacobs could be on the block. What is the market for Josh Jacobs, hypothetically? You know, how how much draft compensation could you get for him? Um, we know that running backs aren't a huge commodity, and this year you've got a bunch of great ones in the draft, so I'm not really sure, but it just feels like a really, 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 really um crowded running back room 
and you know that Theoretic's not going anywhere because they just signed them. Kenyon Drake's not going anywhere because they just signed them. It's a lot of capital sitting in your draft, or, I'm sorry, in your running back room, and I think you're just hurting yourself because, again, Josh Jacobs is, don't, don't freak out when I say this, but Derrick Henry-esque, and I don't mean that he's like seven feet tall and just going to run over everybody on every play. What I mean is he can handle all of the uh, carries. He should be touching the ball all the time. I know he got injured this year, um, but Josh Jacobs is the real deal, man, and I think he's still got two years left on his rookie contract, which means he's cheap, which means he also could be very sexy maybe to a team that wants to get Josh Jacobs with two years left on a rookie deal. So anyways, those are just my thoughts on that, um, but that move was puzzling for me. A move that is not puzzling is Will Fuller to Miami. I think the Dolphins nailed this one. Um, I would have personally preferred Curtis Samuel. However, Will Fuller is a mensch. And everyone talks about how the Miami Dolphin wide receivers, pass catchers in general, were not able to get separation last year. So uh, Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki, they were rated the worst and the third worst in yards of separation at the target point. Now, obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but at the end of the day, those guys weren't getting open. I mean, you had Bob Tunyon at the top of the list, who's a tight end in Green Bay, and he, he was getting the separation. So there's no reason to tell me why you can't get you know, some sort of separation. Uh, Will Fuller averaged three yards of separation, which is the same as Chris Godwin, the same as... Um, there were a couple other like really high-profile wide receivers that also had the same average, um, so he's up there. So uh, last year he had 53 catches, 879 yards, eight touchdowns in a shortened season for him, 16.6 yards per carry, and a 71% catch radius uh, catch rating. So I think this is a great, great move uh, by the Dolphins, and I think that's going to work out well for them. Another move that I won't say it's puzzling because I understand the move. I, I, I get it. I really do. But definitely one that I go Eesh, when I see the numbers. Uh, Kenny Galladay. He was one of the most sought-after wide receivers uh, in the market outside of Juju Smith-Schuster. And he landed with the New York Giants on a four-year $72 million contract with $40 million guaranteed. Now, Kenny Galladay uh, obviously had an injury-plagued season last year, but let's look at his last full season in 2019. So in 2019, here's his rankings at the end of the year. So in receptions, he ranked 42nd. In reception yards, he ranked 7th. In reception touchdowns, he was 1st. Yards per catch, he was 3rd. Yards after catch, 50th, and his average separation at the point of target, he was worst in the NFL. So you've got a couple categories where he's first, third, seventh, and then some where he's 42nd, 50th, and ultimately worse. $72 million? Who do you think y'all signed Chelsea Clinton? I, uh, I think that's a huge overpay by the Giants. 
huge. And again, is Daniel Jones still the quarterback throwing to him? I do not not know. But I like Kenny. I think he's a great receiver. If he's healthy, if he's ready to go, um, could be potentially big weapon for the Giants. Could also have fantasy implications. But I think they paid a little bit too much money. Um, I would understand that after the new year, new TV money comes in, but uh, feel, feels a little bit uh, like uh, overcharged to me. But rounding out uh, one of the other free agent signings that took place is Riley Reef, offensive tackle signed with the Cincinnati Bengals, and thank God, man. Jesus, Joe Burrow's got to be sitting there the first few days of free agency watching all these defensive players get signed to the Bengals going, um, guys, do, do, should we discuss how I got hurt? Or, or do you remember? Like, you you were there, right? Like, it, like um, so, yeah, that's a start. So we got one. We got one. Uh, time to replace most of uh, the rest of that line in Cincinnati. So we'll see if they do it. But... You know, I mentioned uh, just a moment ago about the uh, new TV money. So all of those deals are finally finalized with all of the different uh, media companies, Disney, ESPN, ABC's version of it, and then um, Prime, CBS, NBC, all of it. So they've, they've all worked it out amongst themselves. ABC ESPN Corp is going to get back into the Super Bowl rotation, and there's a whole thing online. We've put it out on Twitter of the different years and who gets the Super Bowls and things like that. But the long and short of it is the NFL Stimmies are coming in, and they signed $110 billion deals. Um, that's a lot of damn money. And even in my quick ghetto math, that I did, it looks like the salary caps are going to go through the roof because the way that the CBA works is there is a strict percentage of money that has to be used for player salaries. And it's a percentage of all the gross revenues of the NFL. That includes ticket sales, that includes TV deals, that includes merchandise, everything, everything, everything. They basically cut it in half and then they use it to uh, pay the salaries, and that's how they determine the salary cap for the NFL teams. And by my simplest of calculations, whew, salary cap is about to explode. Um, and that is exactly why we've encouraged teams that are coming up on those deals for your quarterbacks or big money players, get those deals in now, man, because... Once that money hits, they, they won't be able to hide it. There's not going to be places where they can say, oh, no, well, the market, you know, no, the market's going to explode. And you're going to see just ridiculous deals like you've never even heard of before uh, that are going to put the Patrick Mahomes deal to shame. So that'll be really interesting. Uh, some of the other details that have come with that whole contract thing is NFL Sunday ticket is basically ending I think it's 2023 when the current deal runs out and the new one takes over. Um, and then at that time, it will go to ESPN+. Plus. So you won't need 
NFL Sunday ticket anymore through DirecTV. You'll be able to just get the ESPN Plus app. Now, what that'll cost and how they'll work that into ESPN Plus is all yet to be determined. Um, Amazon is going to be exclusively producing the Thursday night broadcast. So Prime will be completely running and producing that show, and then they will have it put out through the different streaming options. Um, lots of money. Lots of money coming in. Um, and speaking of that, you know, I think there's been a lot of players that are aware of this and have been advised, obviously, very well by their agents. And so you see a lot of these one-year deal happening right now. Players, obviously, you know, it's a risk-reward thing. They're betting on themselves a little bit, and they're hoping that they don't get horrifically injured. But at the same time, Juju is a perfect example. Juju made a very smart decision. He bet on himself, and uh, Big Ben's last year, what we assume, in Pittsburgh. So, you know, this idea, I've heard people say, oh, see... You know, he's loyal, he wanted to be in Pittsburgh, and he turned down way more money at Baltimore or in other places. And um, while that may be technically true, I want to see where that loyalty is 365 days from now. Because when that big money comes in, and he's like, okay, now I can go really, really get mine, I think he might not be as loyal as you think he is. And that's not to say that Juju doesn't love Pittsburgh. That's not to say that he wouldn't love to be in Pittsburgh, but money talks, bullshit walks. And I love a lot of y'all, but if somebody offered me $90 million to go somewhere else, I might have to go. I don't know. We'll talk about it. If you got $90 million, call us. Call the show. Reach out to us on Twitter, at RegulatorsPod. Anyways, having said that, you know I'm playing. I love you guys. Um, so Juju made a very smart deal for himself. Uh, someone who did not make smart decisions for themselves is Isaiah Wilson. He was the former first-round pick, and I say former as in only a year ago, first-round pick with the Tennessee Titans, had a bunch of off-the-field issues. Um, he ended up getting traded to the Miami Dolphins, and it was just basically a swap of picks. So they just swapped seventh-round picks and they were going to try to get him on the right track and everything else like that. The Miami Dolphins have already cut him. And there were videos on the internet of him looking like he was basically partying, having a good time. There were reports that he missed his initial meetings. He missed several uh, events that he was supposed to go to. Um, so it just... It became apparent that he was not very committed to what the Dolphins were doing. And Coach Flo don't play no shit. So it didn't matter that they only acquired him a few days ago. Um, that was a very short-lived relationship. So not a smart decision on on his part. But, you know, as we go through all of this free agency and all these players and things like that, I've been digging back through some of the old data and looking at some of the signings and things like that. And one of the funny ones that I came across that still blows my mind is I forget that Brett Favre once played on a team with a 24-year-old Adrian Peterson, and they didn't do shit. <laughs> and it's like, man, 24-year-old Adrian Peterson, basically in his prime, Brett Favre, who could still sling it, 
and they just couldn't get it done, man. They couldn't get it done. But uh, what what a team to be on. Um, that was definitely the the closest Minnesota had outside of the uh, the Diggs miracle, um, where they were ended up one game away from the Super Bowl, and then obviously we know how that ended up. But you know, going back through some of these is a lot of old players that I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. You know, Vic played for the Jets, or I forget that this player ended up with this team or or whatever. But you know, it's it's really interesting. We forget so quick, but let's talk about the young guys. So was digging through some interesting data this week, and I'm going to get more into it as the week progresses and put a bunch of stuff out on Twitter. But if you guys don't know a smart guy on Twitter, his handle is at smartjames1981. And like me, has just an obsession for data and analytics and all things uh, stats. So he hooked me up with a spreadsheet that he was working on with a bunch of data from PFF and uh, some other places. And it basically broke down all of the rookie snaps by every team, by every player, by every position. And then you were able to cross-tabulate that and kind of figure out which teams were using their rookies the most, which teams were barely using any rookies. So, for example, uh, the most rookie snaps in total last year was Miami. It wasn't even close. Uh, Followed by Jacksonville, Denver, Minnesota, and the Carolina Panthers. Now, what's interesting about that is the Dolphins won 10 games last year, having the most rookie snaps in the NFL. So you have to imagine that a handful of those players are only going to get better uh, as they were rookies because the rest of the teams on that list, Jacksonville, Denver, Minnesota, Carolina, did not do very well last year, obviously with all of those rookie snaps taking place. Um so we're going to go more into that data as the week progresses, and uh, it's really great because he's got it by position and and uh, different things like that. So we're going to look at it and probably post a bunch of it on Twitter. And uh, speaking of some of the data we've been going over, I've been doing a lot of draft prep because, you know, draft for me is like Christmas Day, and obviously J-Man is the same way. And so we've been doing a lot of prep to get ready for the draft. And we've been looking back at top 10 selections, top 5, top 3, etc. And so I'd love to just have you guys listen to... These are the last 10 quarterbacks that were taken with a top 3 overall selection. Okay, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Mitch Trubisky... Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, and Blake Bortles. Not exactly a Hall of Fame class. Um, You have a couple of good guys in there, for sure, and some people with some potential, but those are the last 10 quarterbacks taken with a top three pick in the NFL draft. It is not that easy. So miss me with this can't-miss prospect bullshit because I'm telling you, you don't know. I don't know. They don't know. It's, it's still a crapshoot. 
Sure, do you have a better chance at taking a top three quarterback than you do at taking a third round quarterback and have them work out? Of course, but it's not a sure thing. And don't even fool yourself into thinking that it's even a 75% chance because it really isn't. But having said that, um, you know, we're going to get into all kinds of draft information and trends and things that certain teams, certain coaches, certain GMs tend to stick to or things they, they do or don't do in the draft. And a lot of that will be prepared leading up to what we are going to call our draft scavaganza. And uh, draft scavaganza, draftaganza, I don't know. We'll work out the title. But the important thing is, is that we are going to go live during the entire draft. We are going to do a live podcast. We are going to do a Twitter spaces, all of the above. And uh, hopefully you'll join us. Obviously, you know, you'll have your TVs on and be booing at the commission, throwing shit at the TV like the rest of us. But you'll have the Twitter spaces, so when they go to a commercial... Boom, just hit the volume up, listen to us, listen to the pod, we'll be live, and we're going to have some awesome things, and guaranteed, guaranteed we are going to do giveaways. So we will do some live giveaways during the show, and uh, we'll see what we can uh, hook you guys up with. So if you have suggestions, hit us up on Twitter, you know where to find us, and uh, we'll find some good things for you guys. And I understand that a lot of people, as they're finding us, Um, they may be new to the podcast, maybe they just haven't listened to older episodes or haven't been following us that long because, you know, we put out a lot of content, but if you want a couple of principles that just basically define who we are as a podcast, our core principles, at least from my end, are defense still wins championships, 16 of the last 21 Super Bowl champs have had top 10 defense, and you can read the articles on our website about Defense, defense, defense. Not that offense isn't important, but build that fucking defense first. So defense still wins championships. That's number one core principle. Number two, and this is a big one, the 13% rule. Do not pay your quarterback over 13% of the cap because no quarterback in NFL history has ever hoisted the Lombardi trophy while making more than 13% of that team's salary cap. Now that doesn't mean you can't write a contract that looks like he's going to make more than 13% and then you convert it to bonuses, you take the salary cap hits over several years, or you restructure, etc, etc, etc. That's fine. But I'm just saying, do not let that quarterback earn more than 13% of the salary cap during that year. That's a big core principle here at Regulators Pod. And number three, and the final core principle, is that Justin Snyder, otherwise referred to as Uncle Jay or J-Man on this show, is someone who has been a contributor to the podcast from day one and is somebody who will out-mock every single fucking person on this planet your Daniel Jeremiah's, your Mike Mayock's when they were still doing their mock drafts, every single NFL network, ESPN writer, it doesn't matter. We have the receipts. Go back and check last year's. Go check. We have spreadsheets. We score him against every single pro. And unlike these guys, with all due respect to them, who create sometimes 5, 10, 15, 20 different versions of their mock drafts, their 1.0, their 17.0. J-Man releases one mock draft 
does it a couple days before the draft, and he releases one, and he will outmock every single person that you put him up against. And if you don't believe us, we'll have a contest. We'll we'll do something uh, for this draft, and I just have to figure out how to take the submissions in and how to make sure that everybody doesn't do 18 different versions of the draft. There has to be a way to verify you, uh, something like that. But again, look at last year's. Just go look at his mock drafts. And he had Jordan Love to the Packers. Didn't see a lot of other people mocking that. And he outmocked everybody else. He's going to do it again this year. And he's going to hate me saying these words because obviously that puts added pressure on him. But I don't care because he's that fucking good. He should be working for an NFL team. I'm sure he will. By the time this podcast has its run, he will be employed somewhere. But those are the core principles of the Regulators podcast. So thank you for joining us, and we have much more to share with you. So please stay tuned. Now, one of the things that we like to do here is we love to ask for fan questions. We love to also propose fictional, random, just ridiculousness on Twitter because we're about comedy and fun and other things surrounding NFL football as well. Our meme collection is growing by the day. And so one of the things that we asked this week on the Twitter page was if the NFL decided to add two new franchises and one of those franchises was coming to your city, what would your team name be based on what your city is known for? And I'd like to read some of the good responses that we received. So my favorites among these were the Cedar Rapids Serial Killers. I think was a really good one. I think it was even better because it was spelt cereal like the food, not cereal like the killer. And I think that almost makes the name even better. <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. Um, I mean, couldn't you picture it like a, a rabbit from Tricks or the Lucky Charms little leprechaun with like killer eyes and a dagger or something like that that would be pretty fantastic i, th I think that'd be a great team name um other suggestions were the columbia south carolina humidities i think that's a good one the naples snowbirds or my favorite the manville texas ain't shit here's <laughs> apparently they have a small population and there ain't shit there, so I find that very amusing. Um, some other names that we will share with you is we've started working on our potential fantasy team names for 2021. So here's a few that piqued our interest. Uh, the Tour de Lance, I think is a good one. Getting Smitty with it. Uh, Traskadecophobia is a good one. Urban Legend. It's a nice one if you're a Jags fan. There's something in my Sala for the Jets fans. And last but not least, E.T. Eneman's Cookies. <laughs> I don't know why I find that so fucking funny, but it's there. So if you guys want to use those fantasy football na names, then, then feel free. But speaking of fantasy football, let's talk about some of the impacts of some of these moves that have been made so far in free agency. Uh, Philip Lindsay, we already talked about being stolen for a million dollars guaranteed. I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of that backfield, but 
I have to believe that Philip Lindsay is a sleeper at this point. I don't think necessarily that he's, you know, a first-round pick. I'm not saying, you know, snatch him with Derrick Henry. Um, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is he's going to fall in the draft, in your fantasy draft. And depending on, let's say you're in a 10-team standard league, I, I I might snipe him in the fifth round. Like, I I really might. I, I don't know. Depending on how the board falls, I think that could be potential. Now, obviously, the quarterback situation scares me a little bit, but the type of haul that Houston would have to get back to get rid of Deshaun Watson means that they are for sure getting a top quarterback this year. So, or veteran or something, like, I, I don't know. But I, I still think, again, I know it's a little too early, things haven't played out, but I think Philip Lindsay is a huge sleeper. Now I'll say Corey Davis with a caveat, right? Corey Davis, one of my favorite players, I, I think he's a, a great player, he signed with the Jets, but he's QB dependent. I'm not sure if Sam Darnold will be in a New York Jet uniform, or if there will be a new quarterback in New York. And when I say he's QB dependent, I don't mean that he needs a quarterback to play well. Most wide receivers you will find need that. Um, What I mean by QB dependent is I'm dependent on which quarterback he has as far as how much I believe in him from a fantasy perspective. Obviously, no Jets skill players were on any fantasy teams last year unless you were in like a 16-team, deep sleeper, start 15 players type of league. Um, there were no skill players for the Jets that were going to be played in any capacity last year. But Gase is gone, new head coach in there, you know, new system being installed, and I'm curious the quarterback. If there is an upgrade at the quarterback position, then I really like Corey Davis. And the one thing that really baffles me with this fantasy impact of some of these moves is the whole Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. Because Jonu Smith helped me win a fantasy championship last year. And I, I love him. I love Hunter Henry. But fuck, with both of those guys, it's not like... It's not like they're with Kansas City or Green Bay. I don't know what's going to happen with the Patriots. I'm starting to lose complete confidence in Josh McDaniels. And Cam Newton's coming back, but Cam didn't do shit last year. So unless the Patriots make some kind of crazy move, which if free agency is any indicator... It's possible. I would not put anything past Bill to make a move, slide up in the draft, grab somebody. Of course, that person's a rookie, but we're just talking about fantasy implications. I'm not saying they're going to go out and win the Super Bowl this year, but if they get a really strong rookie, if they get somebody, maybe they get a Mac Jones. We know Bill's relationship with Alabama head coach Nick Saban. I mean, anything is possible. So, But even with that, how do you split up, you know, between those two guys 
who's get I feel like you're boomer bust like you'd have to take a guess because even in the Aaron Hernandez Gronk type of days it wasn't like every single week both of those guys were scoring two touchdowns I mean you'd have a, a week where they both got theirs but in general you have to bank on who you think is going to get the love and I mean that's where it presents problems for the defenses because now you have mismatches on two guys who would normally be lined up against linebackers now they have to be covered by defensive backs and you know obviously Bill's going to try to scheme it up and and get creative but from a fantasy perspective man that hurts that hurts their value and I and I think both of those guys are great but that's going to be tough for me I'm I'm sure they're going to sit on the board a little bit longer in your draft but man I, I i just i don't know gun to my head i'm taking Johnu smith but it's tough it's tough so i'm i'm staying away as long as possible on those two guys now obviously the league uh meetings are happening with owners at the end of this year i'm sorry not end of this year the end of this month i guess the uh rum is finally starting to hit so a lot of things are on the table, including the 17th NFL game. Now, we've been wondering for a while when we're going to get that 17th game. All signs are pointing to we should have it this year. The NFL should have a 17-game schedule for all of the teams this year. It's a great opportunity to automatically boost revenue for the league as they're adding an extra game extra ticket sales concessions etc etc i'm sure most of the owners will be behind that and they've wanted it since the beginning and they do have the option on the table so i think that we're going to see the 17th nfl game implemented obviously we won't know until after the owners meetings at the end of this month so perhaps by not the next podcast, but the one after that. We'll have some more information on that. Now, as the schedule stands right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the fourth easiest strength of schedule. Now, the schedules aren't out. You know, they haven't figured out who, when, like, like at what time, what date, etc. But you know the opponents. All the opponents for the current 16-game schedule have already been figured out. And as of right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the fourth easiest strength of schedule. So the table is set for them to run it back. And we've seen them obviously do some re-signings and make some extensions with Brady and do some other maneuvering. They could easily run it back. And I I say easy tongue-in-cheek. I mean, it's the NFL. Nothing is fucking easy. But easier than the path that some other teams will have. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see how it shakes out if an extra game is added, but as of right now, they have one of the easiest strength of schedule, uh, schedules slated for the 2021 season. Now, I saw something interesting on, uh, the Twitter streets right before we did this podcast, and the question was asked, which NFL team has the best secondary? So, which team in the NFL do you think has the best secondary? And I believe the four pictures that they used to, I guess, propose their suggestions were the Ravens, the Rams, 
the Packers, and I forget who the fourth team was. Um, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that. So find us on Twitter at Regulators Pod and tell us who you think the best secondary in the NFL is. I have opinions on it, um, you know, but a lot of my opinions are based on research and watching tape and things like that, and that doesn't seem to be valued in the Twitter streets in certain places. But regardless, I would love to actually hear because there's no right answer. I mean, there's, I can give you examples of why I think it's team A, B, C, or D, but I also understand why people would advocate for one team over the other and there's lots of different metrics you can look at and no one team like just decimated every single category so you could you could make different arguments so i actually am interested to hear what you guys think who you think the best secondary is right now uh pre-draft pre the conclusion of free agency and trades and all that other stuff but as it as it sits right now who you think has the best secondary in football but speaking of secondary some cap that i saw on the timeline i can't really say it's cap as it is just disingenuous um i was reading that pff put this this isn't even the first time they've done this in the past couple weeks but pff put out some information and said that uh since 2011 richard sherman is the number one graded cornerback number one rated in interceptions, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, he's their top free agent, and everybody should just throw money at him. And I have a thought. So I pause for another drink. Here's my thought. Are you ready? Here it is, regulators. I think someone... I have to be careful because this is an allegation. I don't want to get in legal trouble. How do I word this? All right, I'm just going to put the information out there and, and you decide. So PFF, again, you know, keeps putting these things about Richard Sherman. Number one since 2011. Like, well, yeah, no shit. Are we getting 2011 version of <laughs> Richard Sherman? Or are we getting 2021 version of Richard Sherman? Because the same company that's telling me, you know, oh, he's, you know, rated in a 95, you know, since 2011, you know, best cornerback that there is, number one in all these categories. Well, PFF has also ranked him as grading out at 75.17 over the last three years. And 67.7 last year. He's got four interceptions in the last three years. And isn't exactly at the top of anybody's list of best cornerbacks in the NFL. So how the hell are you telling me out of one side of your mouth that he's number one since 2011? Which I get it. He he is, right? But you're, you're cherry picking and you're... You're completely ignoring the fact of all the people who played prior to 2011 or maybe played into 2015, 2016, and then retired. They're not in the league anymore, but yet because Sherman is still playing, 
he's still accruing statistics when these players are long gone. And since you're not starting from the beginning of their careers, you're only starting at 2011 when it, you know, is conducive to produce stats for Sherman. It's very disingenuous. Now, listen, I have no problem with someone who says, you know, since 2018, this has happened. You know, in the past couple years, in the past three years, no one has more sacks. That's fine. That's whatever. 2011? You're being very disingenuous because, again, why don't we just say in NFL history, since the merger, in the last 20 years, like, why would you specifically choose that unless it fit the narrative that you were trying to push? And it seems to me that someone at PFF is very interested in pushing the narrative that Richard Sherman, since 2011, is the number one quarterback, cornerback graded at 95 or above at, you know, all these categories, even though they themselves grade him out at a 75 over the last three years and a 67.7 last year. I can't imagine how or why this would be beneficial to anyone at PFF other than them doing their due diligence and presenting stats exactly how they are. And that's how I'm going to say that. And I'll leave the rest up to you, the smart and lovely listeners of the Regulators podcast. So you guys figure it out, and you tell me what you think. Now, I'd like to uh, end the show on a little bit of a positive note with some negative intermixed in between so every day we go out into the twitter streets and try to spread love and stats and all kinds of things pretty much everything except for an std we are trying to spread in the twitter streets and trying to uh, engage with you guys and talk football we love to talk football i do and i mean it just it's 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 a blessing that i get to do this and, and be on this journey with you guys but every day, you know, we encounter internet trolls here and there, bunch of bullshit. Um, but I think it's hilarious so, some of the conversations that I've got into. And today there was one in particular. So some troll got on our podcast page and went ham and just started talking all kinds of nonsense like just profanity and, and ridiculous stuff about our podcast and all kinds of stuff. Obviously has never, ever listened to a single episode um, because if they did, they would realize how high we were on the teams that they like and the players that they like and all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, what these people really need is love. You know, it it used to make me angry when I ran into somebody who was just a sorry son of a bitch who just had nothing better to do than to ruin other people's lives or attempt to. And now I just feel sorry for these people. I feel bad for these people because ideally they just need love. They need attention. And it's hard to decipher when you're talking about Twitter trolls. Are they 14 years old? Are they just really that fucking dumb? Or... Are they genius billionaires that, you know, maybe they're smarter than all of us. Maybe they got more money than all of us. But 
you know, this is their favorite pastime is to just fuck with people on the internet. Wouldn't it be amazing to find out that Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates secretly create these burner accounts and just go troll average human beings on Twitter for fun? That would be fucking hilarious. I would I would love to find that out. Um, but it's hard to tell sometimes. And you don't really want to shit on a person if you find out like they're a 12-year-old moron um, or just a moron or just 12 in general. Uh, so it's it's really difficult sometimes. But... Having said all of that, I I try to be a better person. You know, I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm I'm self-aware. I'm pretty self-aware, and uh, I I would like to try to spread a little bit more love on the podcast. Now, listen, we do a lot of things to try to hook you guys up. Um, we do giveaways, like the giveaway we had at the top of the show. And, um, you know, we're always trying to bring the community, the NFL community together as a whole. And we got some things we're going to get involved with uh, next week for charity that I'm hoping we can blow up a little bit. But, um, you know, I'm always trying to make the world a little bit of a better place just in my small parts in whatever I can. So here's what I would like to do. Now, the latest Internet troll that I had, of course, is... Random name, bunch of numbers, Twitter profile with literally no followers and no profile picture and is just a random burner account, which again, we don't know if he's 14 years old, if he's mentally challenged, or if he's Jeff Bezos sitting behind a Blackberry just roasting people. But here's what I would like to do. I'm going to give out his Twitter handle. And I don't want you to dox this person. I don't want you to attack him. Here's what I would like to suggest. I would like everybody listening to the Regulators podcast to find his Twitter handle and say something just ridiculously nice. And not in a backhanded, passive-aggressive type of way like, oh, you shit on podcasts, I bet you. No, no, no. I mean, just seriously. Like, hey, man. I think the Ravens are really awesome, and I like your responses on Twitter. Anything you can come up with. Hey, I hope you have a nice day. That that would be great. If he just gets like 300, hey, I really hope you have a nice day. Like, hey, how's your week going? I hope things are going well for you. Just awesome stuff like that, that he, she, you know, they, whatever it is, whoever's behind this account. I think that would be cool because the only way to drive out hate is through love. And so we're going to love this Twitter handle. So if you guys could pull out your phones, obviously if you're not driving, um, pull the side of the road, park somewhere. But pull out your phones, pull out your tablets, whatever, and pull up at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, 157-44147. I know it's long, but you know how these burner accounts work. Anyways, Pull up Brian 157 account and just say something nice. Just say something really nice. And, you know, that, that would be a favor to me. That's, that's one thing you guys could do for me that just in a small way would give back. And maybe it goes nowhere. Maybe he tries to troll you guys back. I don't know. But don't let, don't let it phase you. Just continue to put that love out there because that's what we're here to do at the Regulators Podcast. And speaking of putting some love out there, you know, we've talked 
recently about all the listeners we have in 22 countries, 515 plus cities all over the world that are listening to us. And we appreciate all of our international fans. But I also want to make sure that we show some love to our domestic fans as well all around the U.S. So special love to Columbus, Ohio. Special love to the ATL holding it down. Special love to the people in Centennial, Colorado. I see you listening to the podcast, and I appreciate you. I appreciate my folks in Wake Forest, North Carolina, Brockton, Massachusetts, Allentown, PA. Hey, I bet you didn't know I was born in PA. So thank you, Allentown, PA. Thank you, Kearney, Nebraska, and thank you, Sterling, Alaska. I appreciate every single one of you, and no matter where you're listening from right now, I appreciate you. So thank you for listening to another edition of the Regulators Podcast. Catch us on the Twitter streets, at Regulators Pod. I hope you have an amazing week. I hope there's some exciting football action for us to report on, all kinds of moves and stuff. And if this is your first time, we end the show the same way that we started it. So I want to hear you guys. Let's go. Regulators!